Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by an entomologist and educator who inspires people of all ages to find their inner bug dog. They connect the science of entomology with social emotional learning and use bugs to help people open their minds, break down prejudices and feel empowered in their lives. I'm so glad to welcome and introduce Chrissy Redding, who's a part of the Bug Tricks with her partner Jessica Hornack. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on my podcast and interact with you. So, um now the bug chicks involves you and uh, Jessica and you're all focused on your focus about entomology. So, um I was just wondering how did the enterprise bug chicks really begin? So, So, okay, so my business partner, her name is Jessica Honaker. She is also an entomologist. Um, And we met in grad school, actually. So our backgrounds are a little weird. So she was in grad school for entomology, and so was I. But I got into entomology in a strange way. I have a degree in theater and dance. So I started out as an actor and a dancer all my life growing up. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then I realized somewhere at the end of it that Um, I wasn't feeling very fulfilled and that there was like a secret dream that I had to study animals in Africa. And so while I was switching my career to study wildlife biology, um, I was over in Kenya for a study abroad and I ran into something called a camel spider, which is uh, a large arachnid. In East Africa, they're quite large. They can be small they can be sort of almost as big as your face with their leg span and they're terrifying looking. And, um, and I had taken one entomology course and I was like, man, this, like, if I can have such a shift, cause I used to be afraid of spiders. And I thought, God, if I can have this kind of shift, like I bet other people can have this kind of shift too. So I, before I got to grad school, had started a production company called Soul Puget Productions, which is a really bad name for a company because no one can pronounce it and like no one knows what it is. But Soul Puget is the sort of science word for these, these camel spiders that I study. And when I met Jess in grad school, I just sort of immediately knew that she wasn't like, she was meant for something different than sitting in a lab. Like we just immediately clicked. We had that great kind of chemistry where you just meet someone. You're like, oh, I think I just met my new best friend. Like it was immediate for me. And so um, eventually I asked her to join me in Kenya for my research. I asked her to come and film me. We met in an insect photography class. And so she put her own research on hold. She studies aphids in um, pest management systems. And uh, she put her own research on hold and I paid for her on my student loans, which I, it's a tricky, tricky thing to do. Um, And I bought a truck on a credit card, which I don't recommend. And we drove around the country of Kenya for about six months together. And she was filming my work and filming me teaching. And about two months in, she was like, 
where do I sign up? Like, how do I do this with you? And that's how the bug chicks were born. Wow, this whole journey sounds truly fascinating. And um, you also mentioned that you weren't always into entomology and you were afraid of uh, spiders initially. Yeah. So um, what was your educational journey before that? Well, I have this degree in theater. I have a BFA, I have a bachelor's of fine arts in theater and dance. And so at a school like that, where your focus is the arts, it was basically a conservatory university. We did not have any science, any math, any, like our literature was poetry or art focused, or, you know, it just wasn't, um, it was an arts conservatory. And finally my senior year, they were like, maybe we should make these people do science or math. And so they made us choose a science or a math class our senior year. And we were like, uh, you know, cause we were theater and dance kids. Um, and I chose the science class cause I, I've always been interested in science though. When I was in eighth grade, I had a teacher tell me that I had no aptitude for science, which really shaped me going even harder into the arts. Teachers have a real responsibility, I think, to uplift students and to help them um, see what's, what's possible for themselves. And that teacher did not do her job right when she told me that I had no aptitude for science because I loved it. I was always into animals and um, and so when that happened, I kind of just went, okay, I guess I'll just be on stage. Like, that's what I'm good at. And so I did that. And then when I made that decision of like, oh, the theater is not filling me up. I had this other part of me. And I thought, maybe I won't listen to that teacher. I was 21 at the time, just turned 21. So then I went back almost for an entire second bachelor's. I went to get um, science credits because I felt like I couldn't go be a wildlife biologist like I wanted to and honestly I wanted to have a, a tv show I wanted I saw the crocodile hunter I don't know if you're familiar with his work it was um it was a little before your time but his enthusiasm and his knowledge and his um he approached wildlife conservation with such joy and such positivity um I really connected to that. And I thought, well, I could be, like I have this theater background and I am good at communicating and I could talk to people about animals, like maybe that's what I could do. Um, but when I saw that camel spider, it changed everything for me. Um, I had taken that one course in entomology and I had a teacher, again, my life is sort of a tale of two teachers. I had that one teacher in eighth grade who was like, you can't do science. And then I had this other professor who opened my mind up to the possibility that the insects and other arthropods are the most vital part of our planet in lots of ways. And um, he shifted my fear to fascination. And that is what we strive to do now as the bug chicks. Fear to fascination is what we do. We do not scare people about these animals because I really think if you have the right guidance, you can open your mind. Yeah. Right, definitely. So uh, I think uh, there must be a big shift from theater and then getting into entomology. But it's good that you broke the boundaries and uh, when you proved your eighth grade teacher wrong <laughs> that you can't get into a science field. But then when you open your mind and 
went into entomology, I'm sure it must have truly amazed you. Yeah, it amazes me today. I mean, every day there's something interesting. I'll never be bored. Jessica and I will never be bored in our lives because there are so many different kinds of arthropods on the planet and we don't know really anything about most of them. So that's fascinating. Like the research side of it is fascinating, but also what we have chosen to do by helping people. And I love what you just said, sort of breaking that boundary. That's literally what we do with people is to help them break boundaries for themselves. And it doesn't have to be about bugs. We use bugs to do that. We think it's a great vehicle to help people broaden their scope see the world in a different way. We call it putting their small eyes on because once you start to notice bugs, you see them everywhere and it really changes how you walk through the world. But like we use bugs to help people of all ages to really see that they are capable of more than they thought they were um, at the beginning of the day. And I just, I think they're the, they're the best way to do that. Yeah, so uh, now I'm really intrigued like when you said that you help people to get in touch with their uh, minds and their feelings. So uh, how do you do that? Could you um, demonstrate maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So um, arthropods, and when I say an arthropod, I mean any animal with six or more jointed legs and an exoskeleton, right? That's, that's kind of what we deal with. This is insects, arachnids, even crustaceans like crabs and shrimps and lobsters and things. And of course, centipedes and millipedes. Um, when people encounter those animals, it elicits an immediate emotional response. You are either super into it and kind of fascinated and engaged, they're great for engagement, or you are not into it. And some people will say they don't care about bugs, but I have found in our years and years of teaching that disengagement, sort of apathy, is actually uh, a tool that people use when they feel uncomfortable. They say they don't care. They say they have apathy. But if you kind of push them one way or the other, they're either hiding how cool they think something is because they, they don't think that they're in a safe enough space to feel engaged. You know how some students act like, it's, it's not cool or it's, or it's, it's like, it's not cool to be smart or it's not cool to be engaged or it's not cool to be excited about something. So that's one way that apathy works. But then also apathy can be sort of a shield of, I feel uncomfortable. And when I feel uncomfortable, I kind of shut down. And really that's just an arm of fear. It's just one way that, that people display that they are having a fear moment. And so we push through that. We ask people how you really feel about bugs. Like we do thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs down. And they'll, they'll let us know. We go, great. Why thumbs down? And we, we don't judge any of the responses. We're not immediately trying to change their minds on something. So how do you feel about bugs? Well, um, to be honest, I am really afraid of bugs. And um, yeah, like, you know, I love butterflies. That's, that's, I think that's everyone's um, favorite bug. But other than that, I'm really afraid of bugs. If I just see a bug somewhere, I'm really afraid of it. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so can you give me some words that come to your mind when you think of these bugs that you're afraid of? Hmm, um... Like to describe them. 
so um probably like um scary or mm-hmm. um frightening and tiny but then they'll crawl up to you and it just right. <laughs> crawly like unpredictable like you don't know what they're right. going to do um are are there words like gross mm-hmm. or creepy yeah. or um disgusting that might come into your mind for right. some of them yeah right. so so I'm basically modeling the strategy of what we do with people right now with you. So you're using words like scary, gross, creepy. Um, and they're, they're pretty different from us, right? Like they seem very different. And so what happens is we as humans, we like to put things in boxes, right? We like to categorize things and we go, well, this is how I am. This is how I look. And I'm good. So anything different from me must be bad, right? When we do this with animals, like bugs, we do this with other people, we do this with religions, we do this with politics, we do it in many different ways. We think this is where I stand and I'm good. So anything other than that must be bad. And what we'll do from this point is we'll go, okay, yes, gross, creepy, scary, all of these things. And yet you like butterflies, right? And I'm sure that if we went through some different animals, we could find different arthropods that you think are beautiful. Like some of them have the most insane colors, really stunning colors. Like, I don't know if you're into jewelry at all, but insects were the first jewelry. Ancient Egyptians used to wear live beetles that, you know, those June bugs or those June beetles that fly and they have like kind of grippy little legs and they're really clumsy and they kind of hit you when you're standing underneath a light or something. That those things that they used to use, those like grippy legs, they would put them around their dresses like necklaces, like living necklaces, right? Um, They even had a dung beetle god that they used to pray to in ancient Egypt called Kepera, which means he came forth or to come forth because when the dung beetle rolls the ball of dung and they put their eggs inside it, the, the dung beetle larvae hatch into their favorite food, right? But they sometimes bury that dung ball. And so underneath the ground, you have these beetle larvae, they're eating their favorite food, which is dung. Then they pupate just like a butterfly does. Beetles go through complete metamorphosis, just like butterflies. And when they come out as adults and they dig their way out of the ground, it's like magic. It's like, where did this little walking jewel come from? They even believed that a giant dung beetle rolled the sun up to make it rise in the east and to make it set in the west, which is a world I want to live in where like a giant, beautiful dung beetle rolls the sun up in the sky. So what we do is we scaffold students. We tell some stories about these animals. Then we show them dead animals. We show them some of the beauty of their forms when they're pinned in specimens. I think you can see my giant walking stick right there, yes. And so we, we bring out all of these displays because if they're not moving, it's easier to see all of their amazing body parts and their colors. And then we go to live animals and we help students pet and we ask them to touch their fingernail because it feels like exoskeleton and we just move them through these layers and by the end 
the excitement in a classroom and the, the thrill and this, that feeling capable where you hold something that you thought 15 minutes ago you would never hold and it's a giant hissing cockroach, but it looks like the beautiful wood paneling in your apartment, right? So it's like th this experience with this, this animal that is trusting you and that you are trusting because we're guiding the experience. Like we don't plop scorpions onto hands, you know, we bring scorpions around and you can see them. But we also talk about how venom and fangs, like you, do you like, what's your favorite animal? Um, so uh, in general or just? Yeah. Any animal. Um, I think, um, like, <laughs> you're really putting me on a spot here, but... No, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> do you like dogs? Do you like cats? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're cool. Yeah. I mean, this is my, this is my little dog. Oh, wow. I'm also a dog lover. He's, he's asleep. Um, dogs, are, are you a dog person or a cat person more? Um, I think I'm more of a um, dog person. A dog person. Okay. So, are you afraid of dog teeth? Like, do you think a lot about dog teeth? I mean, no, like when I'm sitting around during my day, I won't be thinking about dog teeth, but. Right. If you meet a dog and the dog is wagging its tail and, and coming up to you, are you thinking, ooh, that dog has teeth? You know, it depends on the breed sometimes. Okay, it depends on the breed. This is very interesting. So. So if a dog is snarling and baring its teeth at you, you're not going to pet that dog. It has body language that is saying, I'm not, I'm not here for pets. But if a dog comes up to you and its tail is wagging and it leans against you, you're going to pet that dog, right? So arthropods have body language just like all other animals. And we, we walk students through some of that body language because when we when we tear down the web of a spider, we've literally just torn down its home. And if something came through and tore down your home, you'd be pretty defensive. You would defend it. If I squeezed my giant tarantula named Beyonce, I squeezed her, she would bite me. But would she be in the wrong to bite me? I don't think she would. She would be defending herself in the only way that she can. So when we put ourselves, it's called empathy, when you put yourself into the shoes or into the feet or into the legs of another creature, we can start to understand where they're coming from. They don't have the vocality to say, um, excuse me, you're, you're kind of squishing me a little bit right now. Can you move over? They say, hey, you're squishing me. They just have a different language. And that is how we then parlay that into talking about People speak different languages. People, even when they speak, like you and I are both speaking English right now, but we have different um, body languages. We are, we are giving each other different signals. Like on Zoom, I have turned to face you. Can you see this? I don't know if it's the same in your view, but like your screen is here to me. So I have turned my body to face you. And I hope that your screen is mirroring that. Yeah. so that I'm not like facing away from you, right? Because we're not in the same room. But if we were in the same room, I would turn to face you. I would be making eye contact. I'm smiling. I am giving you indications that I'm loving your podcast, like loving this. I'm giving you 
warmth. I'm giving you openness. And so are you. You're asking great questions. I can tell that you're listening. You know, we're giving each other cues of like, hmm, yeah, all these things. And even if we didn't speak the same language, there are still physical cues that humans give each other to say, yes, tell me more, or to say, no, I, I, I'm done with this conversation, or I don't want to speak to you. It's the same in the animal world. Right. Um, so now, as you described them, um, insects or just animals in general really seem like mesmerizing creatures with all their different colors or, um, you know, their different traits that they have to how you indicated that. Um, so like they can't physically, like they can't talk or they can't right. express their emotions. So um, everyone, every human as well has different traits to them to describe how they're feeling. So um, we can possibly just consider them that way. So you really changed my perspective. I never thought about them that way. I always thought that, oh, they're unpredictable creatures and I'm just grossed out by them. But this really changed my perspective and why you also spoke about in the historic times when they would um, treat uh, insects as, um, you know, jewelries or the different accessories. That was really cool to hear as well. So um, I'll send you some pictures of some really beautiful things. I think that I think you'll really like it. Now, where I, I don't know much about the insects of India, I do know that there is a beautiful roach, a cockroach in India, one of my favorites. I don't know if it's near where, where you live, but it's called a domino roach and it's its body is black. It's almost sort of roundish, like oval, but it's got white spots on it and they look like dominoes. And they're really beautiful, like beautiful, adorable roaches. They might be pests in India. In, in, in the States, they're part of the sort of pet trade. Like people have them as pet roaches because they're so beautiful. But, and, and that's an interesting thing too. Like, like one country's pest is another country's sort of like coveted cute pet. It's a really interesting thing how that works. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so now as times are progressing, now some bugs are um, you know, getting extinct or they're in the verge of extinction. So, and a lot of, um, so like in pollination, um, now bees are on the verge of extinction or they're just endangered and mm -hmm. now in order for the replacement and for growing fruits there are um, bee drones or robots that are coming into picture so what do you think yeah. about that i think humans are geniuses i think sometimes we use our genius in a way to solve a problem before we understand why we created that problem or how we created that problem. I think we have to be careful as humans because we'll go, oh, we've got a technology to just replace this animal. But I think we need to take a step back and go, what of our actions led to the destruction of this animal's livelihood in the first place. I think it's really cool that we can build little drones that will eventually replace things. Um, I, I mean, there's that like, there's that famous line in Jurassic Park, like, 
we thought about if we could do it, not if we should do it. And I think that's true. I mean, I think we definitely have a little bit of hubris as humans where we we're so um, in love with our own brains and what we can do that, that sometimes we don't think about why we're in this mess in the first place. It's not just bees, it's all native pollinators. And it's also decomposers, like I mentioned cockroaches. There's a thriving pet trade and that is paying people to poach animals from the wild to have them. And, and that's why Jessica and I really try, we don't always succeed, but we really try to only have pet arthropods that are captive bred um, because we, we don't wanna support this poaching of wild populations. It's habitat loss, it's habitat destruction, it's chemicals, it's, um, it's people not reading labels of pesticide cans and just spraying at everything because we can. But we need to think more about whether we should, whether it's good, and, and the chain reaction that things have, like our actions have repercussions. There are ripple effects. Something I do here could literally affect you in India, even though we are a world away, we are the same world. And it might take a little while and the, and the reaction might be diluted in some way, but um, while drones are cool, I would rather have healthy habitat for native pollinators all over the world than um, a second rate replacement because the drones are cool, but they will never be as cool as an actual living insect. Living insects have inspired. All, all of the cool things that people have done, we are mimicking what nature already did. We are biomimics. And I always used to, I always say like bugs did it first. Anything cool that humans have thought of, bugs already did it. They're doing it right now. So let's revere that. Let's, let's learn from that. That's what I think. Right, definitely. While it's disappointing that um, these insects are getting endangered or extinct, but, um, and it also hugely affects the ecosystem. Like over time, it may really damage the ecosystem and we don't know what that would lead to over time. Yeah, absolutely. And when one goes extinct, what happens to the other? What happens up the food chain, in the food web? Jessica and I are very, very lucky that in normal years when it's not a pandemic, we go to the Amazon rainforest twice a year and we go with high school students for one of our, and it is, it's my favorite week of the entire year um, because somehow they like didn't get the memo that we were gonna be doing bug research. Like they saw the bug chicks as the science leaders and they didn't like somehow put it together. They're just so excited to get to the Amazon and then they get there and they're like, wait, bugs? Or like, yeah, 24 seven is what we're doing. But you can see year to year that we are seeing fewer arthropods. We've only been there, we've been five times over the last three years before the pandemic. And each year you could see that there were differences in the populations. And um, 
when we talk to entomologists who have been there over the past 30 years, when we talk to people, and this is important, because it's not just visiting scientists who can see the change, it's learning from local indigenous people who have lived in these rainforests for eons. And they will tell you the forest is very, very different than it used to be. And it's deforestation and it's um, mining and it's human population and it's encroachment and it's burning. It's all of, it's all of the horrible things that you can think of that, that really do have an effect. Um, everything we do has an effect, absolutely. So uh, when you converse with some indigenous people, um, did they tell you about anything that was there in the past, like any bug or any animal in general that was present that we no longer see anymore? Yeah, um, we when we go, we go with um, something called the Morpho Institute and um, they're a nonprofit and they have partnered with an indigenous community called the Mayahuna. And they are, um, we're all sort of, working to assist and support the Mayahuna's efforts to um, reclaim and retain their native indigenous lands. And one of the things that is happening is they're fighting against a road that's going to be put through their indigenous. So they, they won this big battle with the government of Peru to like establish their lands, but now there might be a road that gets put through them. So, um, and that will, that will spell destruction. So they tell stories, the hunters tell stories of like all of the animals they used to see. They used to see, um, they used to see these sort of native bush pigs, these peccary, and they used to see all of these uh, little jungle cats, these predators that they used to see. And so like, when you see predators, you know that the prey population is healthy. So that's one of the ways that that conservation biologists can 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 kind of gauge the the healthy populations in the forest. They used to talk about these bird populations, and also when they hear that we study bugs, they'll tell us stories of these giant bugs that we're not really seeing when we're going. Um, yeah, it's 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 intense. Though they're setting up camera traps um, and. As, as they have reclaimed their lands and, and, and also as tourists have not been coming over the past couple of years, animals are starting to move back in to places in the forest where they had vacated in the last say 10 or 20 years. So that is, that's a great sign. Yeah, it's how do we clearly, balance. This clearly shows that the forest is um, ever changing. Like um, we don't know what happens next and uh, from before, I'm sure the forest must be a completely different place now. Yeah, I, and I don't know what it was like. You know, I we've only gotten to go from the last three years, but hearing from from the indigenous farmers and hunters and women in the communities, it is interesting to see how they adapt with change as well, um, because tourism can be a double-edged sword. It can really provide money to support communities, but it does have uh, an effect on the forest for sure. Yeah, yeah. totally. And um, now, do you have any favorite bug that you relate to or you love to show when people come visit? Yes, um, I do. 
all of my, my live animals are actually at, at our other office right now. But so we have a curly hair tarantula that I mentioned before named Beyonce. She's the star of the show. If we called her killer fangs, people would not like her. But we call her Beyonce because she's a curly hair tarantula. She's got beautiful, like, um, you know how Beyonce's hair is always like kind of like darker at the roots and then it goes a little bit like golden at the ends. Well, our tarantula's hair is the same way. She has all these hairs all over her body. And as she gets older, they will start to curl a little bit, but they get lighter at the tips. And, and she's just fabulous. She's a star. And so we love to show her, but I actually want to show you this walking stick because it truly is. It's, it's a bug. I bought this display before I studied insects, which is kind of interesting. Um, I saw it in a shop when I was a theater major and I was never into bugs, but I saw it in the shop and I was like, oh, I've never seen anything like that. I have to have it. So I like saved up my money when I was working and I bought this for myself. And then I became an entomologist several years later, which is really weird. So let me show it to you, hold on. Now, nowadays, I wouldn't buy this unless I absolutely knew that this was not taken from a wild population. I'm not exactly sure about this one. And so the way that I uh, deal with my guilt over buying this is that I use it to teach hundreds of thousands of students. And so that's how I deal with that. But look at this creature. So bigger than my hand, I have huge hands. Um, this is a walking stick. This is a female. They use these wings to pop out and glide. This is from Papua New Guinea. And I, I mean, the, the, the little spikes on the legs, the way that the body looks like lichen, it looks like a stick covered in lichen. These are the front wings here, the four wings. They look like they are spotted with lichen. And then when these fold down, almost like a fan, they fold down to here and, and, they, and they stay still. What I love about walking sticks is that they practice something called behavioral camouflage, where they act like what they look like. They kind of like shake in the breeze, like a twig blowing in the breeze, which is fascinating. Like, how do they know to do that? How do all of them know to do that? That's, that's coded in their DNA. It's coded in their genetics. And that to me is really fascinating. How these animals behave in their environments is just so cool. So I really love walking sticks. Yeah, that's so cool. And there's so many uh, tiny details to them. And also you mentioned that um, you bought this before you went to entomology. So you always knew in your heart, even though it, you didn't obviously know it, you always knew that you wanted to get into entomology somewhere. Oh my gosh, you are the first person to say that. And actually, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, it's like I had this secret dream and I knew it was animals, but I never knew that insects are animals. Like it didn't click for me because you see a dog, you see an elephant. And like when I went to Kenya the first time I was studying large mammals, like elephants, lions, rhinos, zebra, and making that connection that insects are animals and that they've always been in my heart. I love that. 
that that is beautiful yeah it really does show that you always had a desire for this and um it was basically your dream and it's great that you're pursuing it now and you found it yeah it's you know i i live inside my dream i i live inside a really wonderful dream and also getting to work with jessica who is now my best friend and like basically my sister and we travel all over the world together it's a really it, I, i'm grateful for that every day even when it's hard and even when and i'll be honest and this is this is something for for your listeners because you know, you're talking about people in STEM fields, right? Like that's, that's what your whole podcast is about. There's so many different ways to get into a STEM field and to stay in a STEM field. STEM is so many different things. And we sort of created this science communication job that we have, but it's very difficult to run a small business. It is exceedingly difficult. And when it gets hard, it, it can be easy to feel like quitting or for me to just go, oh, well, I can just go do something else in the STEM fields, which I totally could. There's lots of variety. But um, being able to run our, run our own thing and work together and, and create our projects is, is a real joy. And I have that entrepreneurial bent, I'll always be a small business owner. Somehow I'll always have a, a business. I, I know this about myself, but being able to make it about bugs and about facing your fears and about helping students feel capable of anything. We might not be the richest people on the planet, but I feel rich every day because I love my work and I love who I get to work with. And I love getting to speak with people like you. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And um, so are you and Jessica working on some big projects currently under entomology? Yes, we just, so we just finalized a huge curriculum called Different. And it's actually about what I was just talking to you about, about the social emotional learning. And um, we're getting it into districts, like school districts all over the United States right now. We just published a paper on it about how, um, science can help with social emotional learning and we just won a national award called uh, a science communication award for it and it's um so that's been our big thing is is you know we've taken our many many years of going into classrooms and now we've created something that teachers can use in classrooms that will help them um, talk with their students about sort of tricky tricky stuff as you're growing up and, and how insects can really help you to think about the world and yourself in a different way. It fosters empathy for yourself, others, and the natural world. And then always we're trying to get a bug TV show. I mean, like always. Um, and we filmed lots of, lots of different things. We make lots of videos, but um, we're, I don't think we're gonna give up on that dream. We're, we, we want that. I think the world could use positive um, science programming, a lot of the science programming still can be pretty fear, fear inducing, especially about bugs. Um, I'm writing a book for how, am I allowed to ask how old you are? You I'm do not 16. Have to You're 16. So I'm writing a book for people your age, um, who are, I don't know about you, but I'm not 16 anymore by a long shot, 
But as you grow up, it can be difficult to manage life. Have you ever felt this way? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody does, right? And um, I have learned sort of like techniques for managing my life and I can connect all of it to bugs. And so I'm writing a book about kind of how to manage your life, like life lessons from bugs that I've learned. So that's, that's what we're working on right now. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, all the best for all your um, endeavors and your journey with um, Jessica. Lastly, yeah. is there any advice that you would like to give to anyone wanting to join the same field as yours? Yes, get curious. And you like, there's going to be a set path. Like if you go to college, when you go to college or when you go into a career, it depends. There's lots of different ways to do it too. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to college, though for certain STEM careers, that can be a prerequisite, right? So you're gonna have what's called an academic advisor. And this is going to be a person who is going to give you the like roadmap for your, let me put this bug down so that I can talk with my hands because otherwise I don't know what I'll do. Okay, so there's going to be this person who will give you like a roadmap of like all the courses you should take in college. And if you, like, like what are you interested in, for example? Um, I want to get in some field of medicine or something. Okay. So let's say you want to do like bio, uh, like, uh, like uh, biotech for, for medical sciences, right? Biotech sciences. They'll have like a prescribed number of classes that you have to take and the way that you have to do it and all these things. Yes, yes, yes. Remember that when you go to college, it's your degree. And what is going to set you apart from other people in the biotech sector is that you will bring a different perspective, you will bring different um, education. You need to get those prerequisites, but in your electives, don't be afraid to branch out weird. Don't be afraid if you're, if you have like a secret love of comic books, do not be afraid to take a class on history comic books because you never know how you can bring the things that you love together like theater and bugs in order to create uh, and to carve out a niche for yourself in whatever sector of the STEM fields that you wanna go into. Bring your full self to it. Don't leave things behind because it, it will A, make it more fulfilling for you, more interesting for you, and it will make you different and set you apart from other people in your field. And as we always say, especially when we teach about different, different isn't bad. In fact, it can be your greatest asset. So that is my advice for students. And don't ever let anyone tell you what you can, like what you are capable of you are the only person who determines that 100%. Definitely. That's some really empowering and great advice. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Christy, for coming on my podcast. I had a great You're time so chatting good. with you and getting to know your experiences. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm sorry if I talked too long. This might be one of your longer podcasts, but... Uh, no, I not at all. I thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much. And I'll send you some pictures. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to it. Um, right. So, to let all of you know, this podcast is now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Make sure you subscribe to all listening platforms and stay tuned for more. Bye, Christy. Thank you.
Bye. Thank you.